You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. We are flying by the seat of our trousers at this very moment. I'm so delighted you're here with us. Uh, joining me is William Orwell Gallagher. Orwell Gallagher. I was waiting for a word in front of William, the way you usually do it, but no, you set me up and then you just uh, worry me down. Uh, Orwell, George Orwell, very talented writer, covered in a brilliant Alan Blater play. I don't think that's really what you're <sighs> William, after. whatever, Gallagher. Oh, okay. Uh, Victor, marvellous Victor. How are you doing then? I am still here. That's what I am. And are you really excited about the October 30 event now that we've had this extra added tiny bit of evidence that there almost certainly probably could be new IMAX? It's interesting in that there are new IMAX. That's fine. We were talking about the possibility of iPads and Apple Pencils. The one that everyone knows they're tired of hearing me talk about is, of course, the Mac Mini. Yes, the Mac Mini. And I get it. I know why you're so interested. Uh, my wife, Angela, has one, and I have seen the loveliness of it. Unless you can tell me you have a secret smuggling Mac Mini uh, industry on the side. I think I get why you like it. But I definitely get why you're, you've been hanging on. It's Isn't it four years now to the day since it was last updated? Quite. And I promise you I have no interest in Angela whatsoever. But the Mac Mini remains a unique machine. You know, it's currently bested by things like the Intel NUC, which is a lousy product name if there ever was one, NUC or <laughs> Network Something Computer. Who cares? No one cares. The, the thing of it is, is that you need a small computer that can sit and either act as a full desktop or be able to, to live off in the corner as a server and run network tasks and do interesting things with it that way. And the Mac Mini was uniquely well-suited to that. The, you know, the, 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 it was the lowest priced Macintosh ever, and that made it something that was really appealing to people who did want a computer that worked the way they'd been accustomed to a computer working, more or less, wanted a Macintosh, and didn't really need a laptop. You know, the answer for, for years seemed to be that if you wanted an affordable Mac, well, you should go buy a laptop, because they weren't updating the Mac Mini anymore. But that doesn't make sense, where, you know, if, if you're... A little elderly, but you know how to use a mouse and keyboard, and you want to be able to have a computer, you, you ought to have a Mac Mini, possibly. And for people that, that liked that, they either went with the old Mac Mini, or they eventually went to an iMac at a significant cost increase. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to count all of that and just say, clearly, you haven't met Angela. But yet, otherwise, I see your point there, totally. Yes, the Mac Mini, I, I mean, the reasons you've just said are similar to the reasons she bought it. I mean, she's hardly elderly and things, but she's very computer literate. But she didn't want a full iMac. She just wanted a, a desktop Mac to do certain things that at the time she wasn't able to do on her 12-inch uh, uh, PowerBook, if you remember those. Uh, and it's many, many years that she's had it, and she still uses it. I mean, less and less because she's far more of an iOS person uh, now. But it's been a solid, reliable machine. For a lot of years. And that that was the other point, right? That was the other pos position was that why do you need to make a Mac Mini if you can get an iPad for 300 it's bucks? It's a point of view. I mean, uh, Apple Insider's own Malcolm Owen and I have discussed um, MacBooks versus iMacs for it. And uh, he, I remember he was he's very, very pro the MacBook things because, you know, quite logically, you can put them on your desk, plug in a full-size keyboard and monitor and then take them away with you. And I am actually very pro iMac because I find for the money and the space and the size and the power, uh, I do with my iPad or even now my iPhone XS Max away from it and have the full iMac experience. Mac mini owners, I think, are in the middle and there's a lot of them. So I really hope it's true. It looks like it's true, doesn't it? Uh, well, we can certainly hope so. The, 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 the valid question is, you know, it comes down to use cases. And what a computer? What what is a computer for? What is the person actually using it for? And if you're able to do all of the things that you're using it for on the iPad, then it's it's more cost effective to just get the iPad, and and have a computer that's not open to any of the vulnerabilities that that let's say a Macintosh or even a Windows machine could be. And and Macs are famously very resistant to vulnerabilities, but iOS is even more so. That's true. Good point. Yes. The 
But but the converse point is, you know, if you like sitting at a desk, if you are comfortable using a keyboard, if you have a a full-size display, you know, 27-inch display that you like quite well, then then what is the point of of having to, you know, why why would you give up this form factor? And the answer is for Apple, it probably hasn't been very profitable or else they would have updated it a lot more soon than this, right? Yes, it's true. Funny, what just popped into my head when you say that is uh, I sound like I'm anti-iPad and actually I love my iPad Pro. I don't think there's been a day in the three years since I've had an iPad Pro that I haven't run the battery down to zero. Uh, but also I will use it for a lot of work and I external keyboard and all of that. And I'm conscious that at the end of the day, I've been looking at this screen, concentrating for eight hours or more. And what I'll do to relax is I will sit back with the same screen and read a book on it. Uh, I love that you can do all this. I just, I love all of it. I want an iMac and an iPad and uh, a nice phone and a new watch. Let's, I'm Apple's perfect customer, apart from the fact that I don't have any money. They don't care whether or not you have any money as long as you give it all okay. to them. Like, and they're happy to help you do that through the upgrade program where you can stave it into payments, of course. Or they're they're happy to do it if you want to apply for a loan or credit. Yes, you're right. In that sense, they are very good to us. Okay. Yes. They're they're quite receptive to anything you'd be happy to give them over a long enough period of time. Except it turns out my Apple Watch. I looked into. You know they have this buyback program, and I thought Apple Watch. I spent a lot of money on that. How much would I get if I put it towards a new Apple Watch? And I can't remember where on the Apple site now you look this up, but it you know, gave the serial number and it came back with, congratulations, we'd pay you £30 for that, which is like less than 10% of the original cost. And it's gorgeous, my watch. Yeah. So. You had an experience just like I had years and years ago. Years and years ago in America, a company called Circuit City that was a electronics retailer. Uh, and in fact, it was one of the first places – it was one of the places where you could buy Apple equipment. CompUSA was one of the others. So Circuit City created a business called CarMax, which was a car dealership. Oh, yes. And, and instead of it being a used car lot that was a part of all of the other car dealerships and instead of being an independent used car lot, it was a chain, sort of like a big box used car oh, lot. Oh, yeah. And you know, they, they proudly advertised that they would buy any car. And so I figured on a lark, you know what, I'll just go ahead and see what, what they'll offer me for my car. And I drove over there and they they took it very seriously. They looked around, they evaluated, they did everything. And they came back with a quote sheet where they would give me 100 US dollars for my car. Right. Okay. And I scratched my head for a moment. I said, you realize I drove <laughs> it here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and they were they were confused. They were quite un they they didn't understand why I wasn't happy to leap at their offer and take them up on it right away. The UK has just had a scrappage um, deal. It's now over, but for I think at least several months, uh, if you were buying a new car, you could bring in your old one, and as long as it was of a certain age, did certain things, uh, you would get a lot of money for trading it in. Um, it was the idea is to get uh, high emission cars off the road. And it was all very nice. Right, right. Uh, but uh, a friend of mine's father came into Birmingham to do this, discovered his car didn't quite fit what it was offered some tiny amount. But he's a car nut. And the reason it didn't fit is he's hung on to this car for years. So he found some website where other people are equally obsessed with this particular car whatever it was. And they offered him about eight times as much money as the car dealers did for it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if the car dealers had been smart, you know, they would, they'd offer four times yes. as much, take it to auction and then take the additional four times. But never mind all that because we were talking about Max and the, the story here is that as, as often happens. So there are regulatory agencies around mm -hmm. the world, right? And you have to, before you release a product, make sure that it complies with the regulations for that that region. And among those are power requirements, battery safety, and wireless emissions regulations. And, and we've talked about Wi-Fi frequencies in the past and things like that. Well, the Eurasian Economic Commission included an update to their previous published data that appears to be the three new part numbers. So it looks as if there's going to be possibly three desktop Macintoshes. iMacs are, are the good guess. And um, possibly one that's I realize, a MacBook. 
I, I don't understand part numbers. I know there's a logic to the SKUs and all this, and you can work out ranges and things, and probably that's how people have figured out that some are desktop, some are not. But actually, that moment when you said there were three uh, for the desktop, I've realized two of them could be the different sizes of IMAX, the 21 and 27-inch, and that does leave one left over, doesn't it? So surely well, it's not going to be the Mac Pro. So what else is it? <clears throat> well, now what can happen? is that there could be three iMacs mm -hmm. because traditionally there's been a good, better, best strategy. So if you've got a, a low-spec machine, it could have the smaller screen size or it could have the same screen size and just have half the hard drive and a slower processor. It is technically a separate SKU. Okay. It should be certified separately, mm -hmm. right? So you've got a good, better, best. You might have two Core i5s and a Core i7. Okay, I'm actually trying to help you here because you want it to be a Mac Mini. If it turns out to be all iMacs all the time, I'm I'm okay with that. William, I am used to being disappointed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't like being the vessel through which disappointment comes to you. That's all. I, I don't like you being a vessel for much of, of anything like that. But here we are. So let's deal with it. Well, so not long to find out. Now, uh, I mean, is there anything else we know about these? I mean, I knew about the part numbers thing, and I know there's been uh, Ming Chi Ho's um, reports before that have suggested there would be iMacs and there would be a cheaper MacBook. I mean, I've realized actually just in the last few months, I've started to pay more attention to him because he seems to get it right. Previously, I thought analysts were, you know, 50-50 in column, and you only tend to remember the bits they got right, but pretty much on the button every time, this guy. So he's ruining our surprises. Well... They're not your surprises. They're Apple's surprises, for one thing. And second of all, the the thing that he's mentioned in the past. So he mentioned the Mac Mini once. Yes. He mentioned it in passing, and it hasn't come back up. But the other thing that he's said is that MacBook sales are said are, are expected to grow by 15% this year. And so he didn't break down that analysis into the where the existing growth would happen. You know, what, was it going to be 13 inches, 15 inches, 13 inches without a touch bar? We don't know. You know, but... If they're going to grow, then there should be some announcement because they aren't simply going to grow because, well, they're for sale. Heading towards Christmas, people's minds turning to what they can buy, nice people like you and me, please. Okay. It was a thought. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have only ever once had someone buy a MacBook for me. Wow. Okay, that was 2008. Okay. <laughs> Were you suitably grateful? Oh, quite. Okay then. Okay, can you go back to that? It wasn't. It wasn't just for you know nothing. It was. Um, I had installed some security cameras around his place of business, and he was the owner of the business, and it helped him catch some shrink. Let's say that was being done by employees to his yeah. inventory. Yes. And and the MacBook came along about after I'd installed the cameras. So can't you just install cameras elsewhere and perhaps not tell people about it, you know, leverage no, some black... No, no, <laughs> no. But that's an excellent segue into another story that I want to talk about. So this is a good one. Uh, Tim Cook. T Tim Cook is usually very soft-spoken and usually very gracious and, and usually talks about things that, that are nice, things that are, are good and positive in the world, right? Yes. But not now. Tim Cook praised the European Union, so there's the positive part. Yes. And called for the United States to follow the European Union's lead with a federal law to protect citizens' rights against the threat of what he's calling the data industrial complex. Now, the data industrial complex as a term, it recalls President Eisenhower's the military industrial complex. And what what he was sort of warning against there was the notion that when military and industry work together, that they become symbiotic and that they, they become powerful and stand a chance to, to take the country in places that it would not ordinarily otherwise go. That, that you, you sort of end up with this thing that is out of your control and it guides policy in bad ways and it guides society in bad ways potentially. Because militaries, as we know, are best at breaking things and causing damage. That's, that's what they're good at. 
Well, they're right. meant to. So let's not, you know, we sounded critical there, but yeah, I, I didn't know that. Well, you say that, but there were a number of, of missions for them that were said to be humanitarian or liberating or things like that. And it didn't exactly work out like that. Okay. Uh, as a European, I right. hadn't heard that Eisenhower thing before. So I thought Cook's phrase were, I, I mean, I thought it was quite powerful, but it seems slightly clunky. Um, but now I get the historical context. So I appreciate it. That's interesting. Yeah. So the the military industrial complex is an informal alliance between a nation's military and defense industry that supplies it seen together as as a interest group that influences public policy and it was it was around a little bit in that time frame before the the 1960s but it's it gained popularity after its use in the you know farewell presidential address uh, in 1961 and to put things in perspective, the United States spent more in absolute numbers on military than the next 13 nations combined. Right. Okay. Hmm. So there is there is quite definitely a, a military-industrial con complex. Now, what Cook is sort of talking about here is the notion that data is being weaponized against us, against users, with military efficiency. And that's his quote. His quote says, our own information is being weaponized against us with military efficiency. We shouldn't mm. sugarcoat the consequences. This is surveillance. And these stockpiles of personal data only serve to enrich the companies that collect them. He gave a 15-minute speech. Ayesh. And um, yeah. he said, we see vividly, painfully, how technology can harm rather than help. Platforms and algorithms that promise to improve our lives can actually magnify our worst human tendencies. Rogue actors and even governments have taken advantage of user trust – to deepen divisions, incite violence, and even undermine our shared sense of what is true and what is false. This crisis is real, it is not imagined, or exaggerated, or crazy, and those of us who believe in technology's potential for good must not shrink from this moment. Now more than ever, as leaders of governments, artists, as decision makers in business, and as citizens, we must ask ourselves a fundamental question, what kind of world do we want to live in? Time where, even as a writer, I would recommend people watch the speech. If you go to Apple Insider and you look at the news story about this, right at the top, the embedded video of him doing it, and I think he delivers it. Uh, part of what you said, that we used him saying nice things. Uh, he still has that same even tone of voice he does, you know, the way, good morning. Yeah, you can recognize him straight away. But then he goes into, and uh, this much harsher Tim Williams. I mean, let's not exaggerate. He doesn't exactly bang the podium standing in front of it, but he clearly means... This is not Khrushchev's shoe on the desk of the United Nations banging away, right? Not yet, no, but he's obviously ramping up towards this. I mean, we should explain that this was in uh, the 39th International Conference about data security, this particular organization in New Europe, actually worldwide, sorry. And it's the first time ever uh, a US technology uh, CEO has spoken there. Interestingly, I think after Tim Cook did the keynote today on the first public day of this conference, uh, we also had Mark Zuckerberg and um, Mine's gone. Uh, CEO of Google. My mind sipped on that one. Uh, but although they both spoke, what they did was provide pre-recorded video that was just played into some sort of session. Uh, Cook was there on stage and getting applause for this. He delivered it so well. Uh, I was really impressed with him watching. Well, now we let's talk about some of the problems that he's bringing up. Yeah. So first of all, there's the the data gathering side from private companies like Facebook. There's the proliferation of fake news, which again, Facebook and also Twitter, yes. there is the use of these tools to incite violence, Facebook, where it has actually led to riots and uh, people being killed. Yes. You know, in, in India, I believe, and, and don't, don't hold me to the fact that it's India, but I believe it was India. I might be mistaken, but it's in that region of that, that continent, um, which I'm, making very large so that I can allow myself <laughs> out if I've gotten it wrong. Um, there, there were rumors spread on Facebook and WhatsApp, WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, yeah. that, uh, you know, bad people were coming through a town and the whole townspeople went and attacked these, these travelers, these tourists and killed them because they, they were ginned up and, and spurred on by WhatsApp, by users on WhatsApp. And so this is very dangerous. And, you know, we see it in the United States with uh, with with swatting, which is the practice of using burner phones and and fake 
phone numbers over VOIP to call emergency services across the country and, or across the world for that matter and have SWAT teams come right. out. Yes, I've heard of this. You, you, Frightening. This is so widespread that someone we both know has has had someone take that into practice. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. And so there's that side of it. But leave, setting aside the private companies for a moment, government collects a lot of information. Government sucks up as much as it can. And whether it's your own uh, GHCQ or or our services in America, right? Yes, I take small comfort in the fact that I've just been to the States and had to go through ESTA and all these application forms. And US government websites are so clunky. It's hard to imagine them being that efficient at getting data. But they do ask and they do tell. So, yes. And they – well, you know, in uh, in Utah, there are huge data centers that – have tons and tons and tons of hard drives and they simply suck up as much data as they can. And this has been going on for years with the uh, tapping of fiber lines and tapping of phone lines and the cooperation of private industry. And it's, uh, it's, it's easy to sound like a conspiracy theorist or someone who is, is reading too much into these practices. But when Tim Cook stands up and says that there is a data industrial complex and military efficiency being used against users – it's it's not wrong. No, I I believe him. I was convinced by it. Um, my only expectation uh, against him, I suppose, if you like, was that uh, we knew he was going to say something of this ilk. I don't think we knew the strength of what he was going to say. I wondered if it would come across as an advert for how Apple happens to do things. And instead, it came across to me as genuine concern. Uh, and that as a result of that genuine concern, this is why Apple is doing what it does he made some lines saying about that we're not absolutists we're not complete and all this he's not trying to present the apple way as the solution but uh clearly he thinks and actually i agree that it's better than the alternatives well now as you say this is not an ad advertisement for apple the thing to note is that for some time now I, I've been wondering – we always sort of knew what Steve Jobs' guiding star for was why he was making an Apple or why he was, was building Apple as a company and why he chose to return to Apple. And the the why of this, the reason for existing, if you will, was not about making shiny devices. The reason for existing was about introducing more beautiful experiences into the world, trying to make things easier to accomplish, trying to solve people's real problems. And along the way, make them into devices that they could then sell. And wouldn't you want to buy one? Here, Cook has established that one of the things that motivates him is privacy and safety in a data-driven world. And that's the central reason. Then that reason probably extends or should extend through to Apple and through to Apple's products by extension. But it starts with that central reason, that central why. And I've talked with other companies that, that I've worked with in years past about, you know, why do you exist? Well, we're waking up a fancy new mission statement. Well, that's, that's great, but why, why do you exist? What drives you? Well, we want to be at the intersection of technology and entertainment. Yes. That's, that's great. You can totally make products that intersect or, or match that Venn diagram. Why are you doing it? Because we want to make a lot of money. Right. Those companies aren't around anymore. Having a focus that says this is why we're doing something and it's going to extend out to everything we make, by the way, if you agree with that position, wouldn't you want to borrow, buy one, is a great way to go ahead and do it because it gives you a sense of purpose and it gives you a sense of, of guiding principles that then drive what the product is. Facebook, for example, their, their guiding reason to exist Ooh, okay. is to connect the world. They, they want to give everyone in the world a voice. And it turns out that's that's not always a positive thing. I mean, it can be a positive thing, but it hasn't worked no, out that way yet, has it? Also, sorry, this is slightly different. I'm just uh, – this is an ideal of what a business – I'm just thinking we're talking about very big businesses, long established, and they did do this from the start. They have just imposed it later. But, you know, I can just see businesses starting out and really their absolute aim is to survive to tomorrow and, and get on to something else like that. So uh, I, it feels unfair to burn them with – too much of an ideal. No, no, but there's some some motivating reason that they started doing it in the first place. There's certainly a desire. I mean, there's got to be a base desire of uh, paying the mortgage and getting out. I mean, I don't care who the business is, but 
Well, there's a base desire of paying the mortgage, but it's it's also a why that product, why that solution, why that category, why that space, why you know if if you were making a startup, you got to pick some category to beat the startup in. It's not just I'm making a business today. It's I'm making a business in healthcare, or I'm making a business in online finance That's and personal true. finance, or I'm making a business in in telecom because I think that the old school telecom com- companies are clunky and need to be replaced, and I'm going to do it better. Great. There's there's some motivating reason for choosing a category. Why? What is that driving reason? Okay, that makes sense. Also, of course, if it were purely uh, mortgage over your head kind of thing, then starting a business is probably not the thing you'd do. You'd get a job kind of thing. Well, so, you, yeah. you see this with Kickstarters, right? You see people who make a Kickstarter, make a small product, or, or more likely source a product from China, bring it over, package it up, and sell it on. Yeah. And they do this serially. We make one thing, and then that was a success. It got funded. That go ahead and paid for the mortgage for a few months. Going to go ahead to do it again. And they'll pick something entirely different. Yes. Only, only when you see that they've done something successful and the second or third time also done something in the same category, now they're forming a business that's around something they actually enjoy. They have an affinity for. They have a. They have a reason. Okay, a personal, a human connection. And it's not yes. just I'm going to sell widgets to to make a box. To make, you know, to make make mortgage. Okay, forgive me. I feel like I let us down a line there, trying to pursue that thought. Uh, yes, right. But but that that the boils down to, and this is what what Cook said. It boils down to is what kind of world do you want to live in? Yeah. And then from there, what do you do to make that world be the one that exists? And I, I get it. It's hard if you're if you're an employee and you're going into work every day. It's hard to see how that translates into action to make the world one that is the one you wish to be. You're just you're punching a time clock. But there are are th- it's worth keeping that I- ideal in mind because it can guide your actions. Yes, I I've been freelance since about ninety five or so and, and consistently all the way through. But there was a, a long, long patch where I worked for the BBC and for budget reasons, they asked me to go on staff for a couple of days a week instead of freelance. It just it made no difference to me, but it did make a difference to them. And I realized, although I was officially on staff and I was working with other people who were definitely on staff, I still had the freelance attitude. I was still f- looking for the next job, still trying to do the next best thing. And a lot of them weren't. It changes your perception where you are, uh, if you have that businessy mindset or you're forced to have that businessy mindset as I was, then I think you do see things very differently and maybe can appreciate some things better than staff people. Right. And as a freelancer, you were able to look at a job and see if it agreed with your ideals. Yes, absolutely. And I did turn down things uh, that I didn't think were right for me. So you weren't writing propaganda? No, I've done copywriting, but and it was sometimes for things I'd never heard of before. <laughs> but I took that as quite an intellectual challenge. I should also point out, because right. I sound like I'm trying to be the perfect freelancer, I've also been fired from a lot of things. So, you know, things balance out. Yeah. It does happen. But it's it's good that we had this speech. And again, I, I like William, advise you to view it. The it, it helps give us some context for why Tim Cook has been so determined to to declare the iCloud spy chip account from uh, Bloomberg as a vicious 100% lie. Mm. And vicious is my own adjective there, but he's called it 100% a lie. And so speaking from an Apple store in Brussels, he he expressed concern about government surveillance interfering with products and services and says that he sleeps with an eye open. But at the same time, he completely denounces claims from the Bloomberg report because they they thoroughly investigated. They checked into the story repeatedly over years. Every time Bloomberg brought this kind of story to them, they'd check it out. There was nothing there. Bloomberg would not come up with any more details and couldn't substantiate it. And so now we've got – let's see. We've got Apple and Cook who have said that it's a lie. We've had Amazon who have rejected it. Supermicro, who made the servers that were said to be infected with the the additional chip, who've also said they know nothing about this and it hasn't happened. Uh, all of these things going on together, and it aligns with Cook was saying in the the keynote that he gave. Yes, the trouble is, I think I was actually surprised. I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised the Bloomberg thing came up because. Uh, Apple has dealt with it as much as they can 
everybody has said it's not true except Bloom, uh, Bloomberg. So I just feel like there was nothing moving on there. But of course, it came up as a result of this. I just think that story is going to dog Apple forever. And who know if it isn't true, then I find that um, I resent that. And if it is true, I want it proved. I'm very annoyed, twitchy about that particular story. So reputable journalism is one where you show your work. It's where you break the story and then lay out the case for why it's happened and why it's true so that other, other outlets can go ahead and repeat your work. They can go ahead and follow the breadcrumbs and verify that it actually happened. And, and Bloomberg has done the opposite of that. Bloomberg has not made it possible to retrace the steps that they arrived no, at. And that is predominantly why I actually believe Apple in this. But when you put it that way, I have to point out that, you know, Woodward and Bernstein, they didn't give up Deep Throat. In fact, they never gave up Deep Throat. Yeah, only Deep Throat himself gave himself up decades later. So I can understand an inability to reveal sources. But equally, you know, I mean, Cook is actually saying a lie now. He's not saying incorrect or false. It's out and out well, lie, which is in, a strong word. In in the case of Woodward Bernstein and Watergate, they didn't have to give up the director of the FBI. They didn't have to give up Mark Felt. He was Mark Felt. I think Felt, so. Wasn't I was hoping to avoid you saying that because I've totally blanked on it and I used to know the case so well. But there we go. Yes. Uh, yeah, him. <clears throat> Whoever he was, yes. Let's put his. Let's put him back under anonymity to protect ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. he was. No, no. Mark Felt was the bureau. Was the FBI's associate director, the second highest ranking post from May 1972 until June 1973, and he was the the person that that they called Deep Throat in Woodward Bernstein's breaking of the story. Now, it's it's one thing to keep sources secure and keep sources anonymous, and you protect anonymous sources because if you don't, then it, it first of all, breaks your credibility as a journalist and also hampers your ability to cover things. At the same time, they didn't need to reveal who he was to give credibility to the story. I'm going to disagree with you there. Because when the story began to be investigated… <laughs> It, it was found to be true through all of the other but breaks in the originally. story. Not originally. I mean, sorry, we're now definitely going off down the line there, but there was this famous moment when everybody proved that Woodwind and Bernstein were wrong, and then still here was throat on the background saying, no, you've got it. You, actually, they did get things wrong, and he was turning them as best as he could to correct them. Uh, they couldn't put that on the evidence, saying, this person's told us we got that bit right and that bit wrong. He was a lead through, and they did great work pursuing it. But really, why am I pressing you on Watergate of all things like this. Okay. <laughs> we were talking privacy in 2018 and suddenly and the world we're back to hasn't changed at all, but at least we've got iPhones now. I liked that point. Well, well, actually the world has changed dramatically because back then for a fake news story to travel, it had to be carried by yeah. a, a news agency. It had to be circulated. It had to, to gain legs. And now it's possible to circulate a story much faster. Uh, information collection on people used to be much harder, and now it's possible to collect everything too yeah. too easily. Yeah. Let's say, you know, and and it's become the government's position that data collection is not surveillance until a human examines it, and so they can go ahead and and sift all the data that they've collected on everybody, and it's not surveillance until someone actually looks. No, I did the results not know that. Query. That is scary semantics. I'm fascinated. Yeah, just a tiny little You feel out yet? Yes. Hmm. Okay, thanks for that. I was having a lovely time. Can we go back to the new Macs? No, okay. So what do you think will... There's no going back. There's only going forward. And so going forward, you know, yep, we should absolutely. have an ad read. Are you ready for an ad read? Excellent. Almost every day, we hear something on the news about a cyber attack, and sometimes it's just a bunch of pranksters, but more often it's a foreign country with vast cyber resources trying to hack our power grid, our banking systems, or our military's information networks. The National Security Agency plays a big part in protecting our country from cyber attacks, and you can help. The NSA is hiring technical professionals to serve on the front lines of information security. If you work in computer science, networking, programming, or electrical engineering, you can help keep our country safe. Design new hardware systems and networks. Write faster, smarter programs. 
protect America's critical infrastructure, or help uncover what our adversaries are planning to do next. Learn more about careers at the National Security Agency today. Visit intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA. That's intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA, and NSA is capitalized. Christmas, yeah. 2019, I've you know what I'm we looking just forward had 2018 to? ones. What could possibly be... Well, that's a good one, but I'm actually looking forward to okay. 2019 iPhones. I finally scraped the pennies together. <laughs> okay. I know, you're obsolete already. How about that? Yes, I, uh, well, actually, several <laughs> people's piggybacks, but we're not I'm going looking forward that. to 2019 iPhones. Anyway, uh, previously, we took ages ago about the fact that we <laughs> you, both you broke had, your piggy uh, bank sixes, and that with a battery replacement and iOS 12, they were so much faster, <laughs> we wondered whether or not it was worth going to one of the new phones or hang on till next year you sound like you're hanging on to next year because you've got secret knowledge i managed to get one now and i was going to tell you i'm extremely happy but that's gone now go on what am i missing out on next year first of all first of all let me console you it was absolutely worthwhile for you to replace your aging iphone 6 with the fancy 10s max 256 gig that you sprung for. Actually, I crimped and went for the 64. It wasn't a 256 available at the time, and I knew I'd have spent the money you, on the bills what? if I didn't. What? Yeah, but oh, oh. that screen and reading books on it. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> don't make me regret that. Side. The speed. Uh, but it's all about speed. I am speed. Yeah. That's that's what is great about the iPhone tennis. Yeah, actually, I got to say, particularly last week, I, I was traveling, as as you know, I was in a hotel with fantastic Wi-Fi compared to my home. And it was astounding how fast absolutely everything was uh, utterly gorgeous machine. And I have to say, actually, having come back to my own office uh, where things are somewhat slower, I'm really noticing the difference. But it's still everything else is quicker on the phone of Siri, for example, uh, I stopped tending to use it. It was a little bit slow. And now it's done straight away. My, I ask it to switch on my lights in my office and it's done before Siri has told me that it's done it. It's just oh, the way it should be yeah. until next year when what happens? Come on. Well, so this is, this is not about home Wi-Fi. This is not going to help you in your house like that. But it will help you from this standpoint. Who's your internet provider? Uh, I use Sky. Sky Television is broadband. Okay. You have relatively few choices, right? You have you have Sky, you have uh, Virgin. What else? Uh, there's quite there? a few what, that just feel like they're different branded names for things. The the big difference is uh, in certain areas of the UK, you can have a, a fiber speed um, internet f uh, provided by uh, BT British Telecom, the what was the AT and T yep. of the UK, um, but they right. don't reach me yet, so I have to settle for yes. Very few. I advise you to move. Okay, that sounds like a threat. But all right. Relocate. Okay. <laughs> I strongly advise you to move to where you can get fiber service because every time I've experienced internet service, an ISP mm -hmm. in the UK, it's been garbage. Virgin was terrible. Sky was terrible. The service is just terrible. You, you, your island is one with poor internet service. Oh. Get fiber. I get 4G out in yeah. the street though. But, 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 yes. here's the news. Here's the thing. MediaTek and Qualcomm are working up on moving up their launches by a full quarter so that they could possibly make a 5G iPhone possible in 2019. Hello. Okay, well, no, wait, wait a minute. I remember when 4G came now, out in the UK, people were telling me, it isn't really 4G. It's, I don't know, 3G in a bit. Yeah, so, so 3.5G that got sold as 4G versus LTE that was a true 4G was a deal because you had AT&T in the US marketing their quote unquote three and a half G as a 4G service for a while. And it wasn't. So there, there is such a thing like, like that. But 5G is said to deliver speeds basically up to a gigabit. So you could have gigabit connection at your phone. Okay. Let's just let me, cause I'm not technical spec boy here. You're you're not really fathoming what that means. I want to just pull it back a tiny, tiny yeah, bit. If, the G in this is just generation. So the fifth generation right. is better than the fourth. So it could be absolutely anything that's better well, than the fourth. But they're saying this. Here's here's the problem, right? The originally there was GSM, and then there was HS DP, HS uh, DPA, and HS UK. I think I bank accounts with them. <laughs> and and then there was. Um, 
you know, there's along in this mix, there's CDMA 2000 and WCDMA and LTE. And, and so we can talk about these things by their, their technology mm-hmm. name. But along the way, we decided that this was fruitless and difficult for people to understand. And so calling them 3G, 4G, and 5G, or 3G, LTE, and 5G works okay, better. Okay, I'm genuinely grateful. I thought WCDMA was an all-rock station. So, yes, this is good for me. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. I, I give you that one. Now, the current state of the iPhone is that all 2018 iPhones use Intel modems, despite Qualcomm having a technological edge. Tech Qualcomm's are, are superior to Intel's modems. But Apple doesn't want to be reliant on Qualcomm, especially in the middle of this this lawsuit yeah. that has been going on. So one question is what's going on with MediaTek and could Apple source from MediaTek? The answer is they surely could, but we don't have any information that says that they are. The other is could they resolve all their difficulties with Qualcomm and go back to sourcing more from Qualcomm? They never actually stopped sourcing from Qualcomm, but they they minimized it to only the ones that they needed for CDMA phones like Verizon and Sprint carriers. So this is this is an interesting thing for me because I am I am really excited by the idea of proliferation of 5G. I think it changes the landscape both in not only in terms of cell phone service but in terms of what it means to be a cell phone carrier because currently the state of the things is that you have people who are TV providers or landline telecom providers providing cable internet service or providing service over fiber or DSL and then separately, you have the cell phone yes. carriers, right? Okay. And so instead, what's going to happen here is that when you're a cell phone carrier and you have 5G service, if you sell a 5G cell to Wi-Fi modem, then you can go ahead and sell home internet service. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. That's... If you can provide gigabit speed connection to a home and all you have to do is give them a modem and it gets the cell service and then rebroadcasts Wi-Fi, job done. And then, and then, remember I just said that the traditional ISPs are the telecom carriers mm-hmm. or the TV providers? Mm-hmm. If that cell phone carrier partners with a streaming service, like say a Netflix or a Hulu or, you know, an Apple service or a Disney service or one of those, and you go ahead and get all of your video over streaming, then you've just effectively replaced the traditional TV provider and the traditional internet provider. Gosh, thank goodness for net neutrality. Oh, whoops. Okay, yes. Wait a minute. Uh, but hang on, well, wait a minute. Um, I, I mentioned that I get uh, 4G uh, cell service, mobile carrier service here in, in Birmingham in the UK, uh, just in my house. The landline one is, is Wi-Fi is rubbish. This says to me that should this all come to pass, I don't have to move houses. I just buy one of these and I use 5G cell instead. So great. great. Correct. It was difficult enough to get enough money for a phone. I think a house is possibly a little bit further away. So, okay. (laughs) Bit of a stretch, huh? Uh, Fiber is better in that fiber doesn't have some of the conditions that wireless can have in terms of lag or or in terms of the way that usage is monetized. You know, you you still have minutes on plans for wireless service, but for fiber, not necessarily. Right, I forget about that. Yeah. So you can have... Sorry, I, I've always had unlimited. Right. So, th- so there are some wrinkles to this plan, but there are a number of people currently using their cell service as their home yes. internet service anyway. So for that, it totally works. Okay, I'm sold. Uh, but you were saying next year's iPhones. Uh, I'm now stuck with this this yeah. rubbish iPhone XS Max for at least two years till I pay it off and things. Um, is everything definitely going to be out next year? Oh. No, that's what they're aiming towards. Now, an iPhone is typically locked in two years in advance. So it may not even be a 2019 iPhone. It could be a 2020 iPhone. But at the same time, Apple would very much like to have 5G service before anyone else. And so you know they must be in discussions on this. You also know that they would be um, designing the part in such a way that, that it could be modularized. Okay, right. So that doesn't tell me that because modularized at the factory floor uh, level doesn't mean I can buy uh, an I, a 2019 iPhone and slip something into it in early 2018. 20, uh, sorry. Yes. I think no, we all knew that I was, it was a pipe dream anyway. Yeah. Forget the chronology. It was a pipe dream. Uh, but okay. So, <sighs> it was a pipe dream. Uh, 
you're not going to tell me that Android's going to beat them and I have to leave, leave my house, adopt an Android phone. It's all going to happen everywhere, but Apple will be pushing to be first is a fair bet. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm sorry I got sidetracked when you said adopt an Android phone because I started thinking about it as if an Android phone were a poor orphan and needed to be adopted. Won't you please, for $1 a day, you too can feed a poor orphan Android phone. Okay, I was quite moved by that, actually. Your voice, right. I could see the phone number I know, appearing I on the know. screen. Right. I'm still saying. not going to, you know, do it, but okay. Uh, so yeah. uh, is that, you're saying Apple pushes for this stuff. Of course they want it to be first. What are the odds? Are they got a track record in this? Because I remember the iPhone. I just remember the original iPhone. That was, um, well, I say I remember. I just remember it, it, the next one was the 3G one. Um, so there were alternatives that were 3G. Apple wasn't the first to that. Are they going to, were they first for the four and a bit? Oh dear. No, they weren't. No. Sorry. That's why I said, that's a five hour lecture, William. So let's just, I'm glad you just summarized it with no. Nope. They were not. (laughs) Next. Will they be first for 5G then? Not necessarily. (laughs) This has been a useful section of the conversation. But they, they really are first for eSIM if you must think about it. I, I really think they are among the first for eSIM. They were totally first if you look at the Apple Watch. Well, maybe not. Maybe Samsung Gear 2 or something was first for that. But they were very much the first in terms of a, a major handset launch with eSIM. I hadn't even heard of eSIM before they mentioned it, but I appreciated that practically everything I hear about iPhones has already been done in some way in an Android thing. So I just assumed I didn't know about it. Um, also, it's not all used to me, so I'm <clears> tuned out. I'm self, self, self. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. But back to me. Anyway, when can I uh, trade in my phone? A, a, a little bit more about you, William. Well, well, you can trade in your phone whenever you need to. They'll allow you to do an early trade in, or you can go through the uh, two-year mm-hmm. thing that you're on. And that'll be how it works out. It'll be okay, though, I promise. You've got a good phone. You stuck with an iPhone 6 for ages. You will be okay, okay. William. Thank you. It's okay. Very nice, you don't have to cry yourself <laughs> to sleep at night. At least not about this, but more about you. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed by going to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color, brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code, Apple Insider. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code Apple Insider, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And and it's, you know, another shining reason why privacy and data privacy mm-hmm. is so important, going mm-hmm. back to the original discussion. Privacy, is that still a thing? We've been on it for, oh, 20 minutes or something now. Surely that's all been solved. Tim Cook said what he's going to say. Everybody agrees. Job done. Okay. okay. So last bit, and then we got to go. Apple is going to launch, or looks like they're going to launch, their Apple TV service, that is their streaming TV service, in over 100 countries. The U.S. debut is expected to be in in the first half of 2019. I think this is big because it goes to, again, what's going to happen with the changing landscape of TV providers. Yes. Um, it feels like everything is breaking up. Uh, kind of thing. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Apple's thing but um how many of these services can one usefully take on i uh i had amazon prime for a bit so i had amazon tv but i just i wasn't using prime so i let that go i have netflix but i think recently i haven't been i've been watching much other than the good place but the good place is worth a netflix subscription so i'm definitely keeping that one uh, am i going to take on apple as well i presume because i'm an apple music uh um, subscriber and i have all of this apple gear that uh, it won't be a big extra cost but is that the thing it's going to be another f- extra fee do we know that yet we don't know if apples is going to be another extra fee or if it'll be rolled into part of the apple music package somehow what we do know is that this kind of thing changes the landscape in, in an important way because it, it goes to that question of how many services can you take on mm. disney is introducing one of theirs 
Disney currently licenses a ton of their stuff to Netflix. Once they've introduced their own, you can expect that they'll cut off Netflix's license. So now if you want to watch Disney, you'll have to buy Disney service on top of that. And Disney is a powerful thing, right? Disney has been able to manage their distribution and get people to buy in over and over again through years and years of you know, releasing for a limited time only on VHS from the Disney vault. And then five years later, releasing for a limited mm-hmm. time only from the Disney vault on DVD and then Blu-ray. And people rebuy in each new form factor. And so you know they're going to go ahead and abandon Netflix for Disney or pay for both of them. Now, if you have to pay for a Netflix, a Disney, and an Apple, and and a one other, you, you've now outstripped the cost. You've beat the cost of what your regular TV distribution was cost, costing you. You know, your per, per month cost for a cable TV subscription would be less possibly than four or yeah, five streaming yes, services put together. Yes, but hmm. yeah, this is, uh, I've actually re- wrote this somewhere about UK television. There came a point when we used to have three channels here, then four, and finally five, and then in the next minute we had hundreds for it. And we got to the stage where it it genuinely seemed cheaper to launch a new TV channel than to make a program. Uh, and I think in the end, it's going to be the programs that do it. And there's, there's this undertow of programs, uh, apart from all the services. Um, there are things that originate on Netflix uh, in the US that don't get shown on Netflix A because of the rights. And equally, the stuff like CBS All Access of the States, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, it's only available on CBS Access, except it's also on Netflix in certain territories like mine. The shows move. Yeah. But... The, the reverse also happens. You know, for example, uh, Neil Gaiman's um, Good Omens is is shown on Stars in the U.S. Right. and Amazon Prime. The the pro- the it is the programs that will make people go. I think something like if if Apple's TV thing is included in, in some way with things you're already getting, then you will watch it because you've got it. But actually driving people to pay up for a service to get that service, it is going to come down to the programs. Netflix does very well with a, a great range of things. Amazon Prime doesn't do as well, but it's got some really strong exclusives. And then what's Apple got? Well, it looks like quite a lot, doesn't it? Well, we don't know yet. We've, we've talked in the past about different shows and different stars that they've secured, but we really don't know where they're at yet, other than perhaps, you know, the uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation, but more to see can they possibly do it than anything else, because uh, it's a very difficult set of books to adapt. So I'm you know, good on them for trying something bold. All right. Well, this is all the time we have. I'm Victor Marks. Joining me is bold William Gallagher. <laughs> really did hear that as bold. So, you know, thanks. But okay. Yes. Bold. Yeah. Okay. Lee going. Should we, should we go with brave? Yeah. Would you like brave? Very much. I'll yes, give you please. brave. Thank you. The brave William Gallagher. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. People, go ahead and email William at AppleInsider.com or Gallagher at AppleInsider.com. Which is it now? Uh, oh, sorry. No, actually now it's William at AppleInsider.com. Dot com. I think uh, I've lied to you before because I have other email addresses and, and I get confused. But while you're just looking at me like that, can I just ask you, know, if you're listening to this and you haven't yet, have a look at Apple Insider for an article about Angela Arendt. Uh It's the fifth anniversary of when she was announced joining Apple. And I think she is so interesting of what she, what she did before and what she came through. I love that piece. Yes. We will be back next week with more. Thank you so much for joining us. Give us your comments. Give us your feedback. Go ahead and reach out to us. Reach out to William at AppleInsider.com. We'll be back next week. Thank you.